Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 Podcast. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. Because editing in particular is about storytelling. You could give a hundred different editors the same stuff and you might get a hundred different stories. The way the story is told would be different and it's the editor's job to make it work. There's always a way to make it work. So the problems that editors solve is finding a way to tell the story in the best possible way. So I want to thank everyone for joining us and welcoming you to today's podcast and interview. Today we're continuing our series on the top 100 careers featuring that of a film video editor. Film and video editors and camera operators record images that entertain and inform an audience. Editors construct the final productions from the many different images camera operators capture. They collaborate with producers and directors to create the final production. Editors are largely employed by the motion picture industry, though some work in broadcasting. Most film editors have a bachelor's degree and several years of experience as an assistant to a film editor. In 2010, there were 58,300 jobs for film and video editors and camera operators combined, and that number is expected to grow by about 4% until 2020. These occupations have intense competition for jobs, and those with more experience at a TV station or on a film set will likely have the best job prospects. Today's guest is Michael Williams. Michael is an award-winning video and television producer editor with over 20 years of experience in the industry. He has worked as a producer and editor and cameraman for the Emmy-winning PBS series Real Science for five seasons. He received Emmy nominations as the producer, editor, and co-writer for the PBS Pledge special Pulse, The Rhythm of Life, hosted by Academy Award nominee Annette Bening. Michael has been the supervising editor for the NFL Oakland Raiders weekly programs Behind the Shield and Raiders Report since the 2003 season. I have to tell you, I talked to him prior to our interview, and he said that that is the one piece of his work that many people are interested in, and I know it's something that my husband was really excited about. He's received multiple Emmy nominations for both shows, and in 2010, he one. He's also been a producer and editor for national programs for the History Channel, HGTV, Discovery Travel, Fox Sportsnet. In addition to that, he has also done a lot of corporate work working with companies such as Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft, Cisco, AT&T, and others. He has a BA in economics and psychology from Williamette University, and in 2009, he started GuruTube.net, a website dedicated to objective and informational videos by widely acknowledged experts in a variety of fields and disciplines. I think that, you know, you asked the question why you were picked. I think it's because your background and what I'm trying to produce are very, very similar, Michael. So today's guest is Michael Williams. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the call. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. All right, great. So tell me about how you became a film editor. Well, first off, I wouldn't really say call myself a film editor, although I have worked on films. I would generally say a TV 
video editor and, as you said in the bio, producer and editor. And sometimes the producer-editor term is combined and people call it a predator, okay. which is more of like a subset because most people are either a producer or an editor, and I actually do both. And for some clients, I work as a producer slash editor. Some clients, I only work as a producer and other people edit my stuff. And some clients, I only work as an editor where other people produce and I just edit. So it depends on the particular project. But to get back to your question, when I went to college, I graduated from Willamette in 1986. And I initially went to college thinking I was going to be pre-law and I was going to go to law school. My dad always thought that I could win almost any argument with him. So he always told me I should be a lawyer. And I went to college and started getting an economics major. And about halfway into my college career, I just thought, I really don't want to go to law school. But I went ahead and completed my degree. And I thought, you know what, I'll get my degree and then I'll decide what I want to do. And I decided around the time I graduated that I wanted to move to California and maybe try to go to film school with not really having much of an idea beyond, you know, specifically what I wanted to do. But I knew that that was something that interested me. And so I moved to California, and I eventually actually got a job doing some basic camera work and doing copywriting and learned basic editing and just ended up sort of learning all the skills on the job. And the more I worked, the more I learned, and eventually realized that I had a particular talent for producing and editing. And uh, producing really is sort of, for people not in the industry, it's really basically just project management. You're the person that's overseeing the project. And I eventually went into business for myself in 1996 and have been doing that ever since. Just really doing whatever a client needs me to do that I can do for them. Perfect. So when you were talking about getting that first job, you know, this series is really about introducing students to different careers that they might want to get into. And I know that in general, a lot of people have the perception that getting that first job in the television field of editing can be a little bit challenging. Can you take us back a little bit and talk about how you got that first job, what types of things that you did in order to get that first position? Sure. I don't know that this will be all very insightful, but I'll give you sort of the details. I had a job because I moved to California and I was living in Silicon Valley. I was working for a computer company, you know, working in inventory and, you know, not really doing what I wanted to do, but it was something that was paying the bills. Meanwhile, I was putting out feelers to everybody that I knew and that I connected with, you know, that I wanted to work in television. And sort of a good friend of a friend said, oh, I know this guy that works for a video company and they make corporate videos. Do you want to talk with him? And I said, sure. And the guy got me sort of an entry-level job. Well, not a sort of, got me an entry-level job with the company because they needed people. And really, my first job was just you know, helping the people that were doing the work. And I was carrying batteries and and equipment. And then while I was doing that, they were teaching me, well, this is how you use a camera. This is how you set the camera on the tripod. This is how you focus a camera. You know, all the very just basic elements of video production. And that very first job, we were doing what were called video listings of homes, which was, this was a big deal in the late 80s. A lot of people did it where we would shoot and produce and edit 45 to minute, one minute little videos about a home that was for sale for a particular real estate company. And then on Sunday morning, there would be an hour program that would just show all these homes for sale. 
So the interesting thing was my very first job and my very first day on the job, really, I was doing camera work that was going on television. And I thought that was pretty cool being, you know, a 24-year-old kid or whatever I was. And that eventually led to learning how to edit those things. And then I was writing the scripts for those pieces as well. And after I got to do that, after I knew what I was doing there, I started training other people to do that. And then eventually I was putting the shows together, which required more involved editing and more knowledge. So just each step was learning more and more and more. But that very first thing was really, I knew somebody that knew somebody and that person got me in the door. So it's sort of an age old story. Having a connection really got me in there. I think that's a key piece to the whole thing because oftentimes when I talk to students who envision their first job before they have one, they think that, you know, it's often about interviewing for a job and certainly that's a piece to it, but it's also about the networking skills that you use in order to find that first job. So, you know, I think that that's really kind of the key takeaway from what you were talking about. And it's also about, you know, sometimes you have to take another job in order order to pursue the career that you really want. And again, going back to key takeaways, I think that that's something that I'd like to leave students with is sometimes that first job is in another job that is completely perhaps related or perhaps not related, but it just gives you some breathing room such that you can go out and pursue the career that you want to pursue. Absolutely. The other thing that I should say, which isn't necessarily about getting the first job, But over the years, I've learned that the way I get new clients is really almost a similar thing. It's that clients that I currently have that I do good work for and that I make them happy, they usually refer me to other people. And I get calls, oh, you know, so-and-so said that I should talk to you about this need that I have. And rarely, if ever, have I got work from just cold calling somebody or sending out a letter or, you know, I I can't think of a time that I ever actually got work that way. Well, I think that that is true for many of us. I'm somebody that recently moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And one of the reasons why we made that move is because my husband got a connection from somebody that he went to graduate work with. And that person said, you know what, I hear you're looking to move. This might be the position for you. So oftentimes we talk about the hidden jobs. This is just another example of it. You know, it's a friend of a friend says, okay, oh, you're looking for this and perhaps you ought to talk to these people. Yeah. So let me ask you, are there any kind of common myths or misconceptions about being a TV editor? I'd say the common misconception is that it's somehow glamorous. (laughs) Uh, You know, we just had the Oscars the other night, and I think there's a certain perception by some people that, oh, it's, you know, showbiz or whatever. But I guess there occasionally is a certain element to that. And, you know, you mentioned in my bio that I worked with Annette Benning once and every now and then I'll meet some sort of A-list celebrity or star. And, and that's pretty cool actually. But for the most part, it's really just a job like anything else. You know, you go and you do what you got to do. And at the end of the day, you go home. So as far as misconceptions, I can't really think of anything other than that. And I think because of that misconception, there are a lot of people that get into the business initially for the wrong reasons. 
And a lot of them in their 20s get in this business. And then after a couple of years, they realize, you know, I don't really like doing this or it's not really what I thought it was going to be. And then they end up going and doing something else, whether it's selling real estate or, you know, working for a bank or, you know, whatever. That happens a lot. And then most of the people, if they're still in the business by the time they're in their mid-30s, this is the business they're going to be in for the rest of their life. Got it. So are there any kind of common problems that a TV editor solves? Well, in a way, editing is all about problem solving because editing is about taking all of the raw footage that was acquired in the field or in the studio and making it work as a story. Because editing ultimately, well, the whole business really, but editing in particular is about storytelling. And for somebody who's not familiar with it, it may seem like, oh, well, you're just taking stuff that was shot and just putting it together. But you could give a hundred different editors the same stuff and you might get a hundred different stories. I mean, the basic concept of the story would be the same, but the way the story is told would be different. And occasionally, well, quite often actually, the producers and the people that do the field production work or the work in the studio don't get something that they should have gotten or they don't get something the way they should have gotten it. And it's the editor's job to make it work. And one of the things I learned early on, I remember reading from some famous editor, I don't know who it was, but the thing he said, which I remember stuck with me, was there's always a way to make it work. And there are times when you get in edit and you're saying, this just doesn't work because I don't have such and such a shot or I don't have you know, this one element that I need to make it work. Well, there is a way to make it work. Some things may work better than others, but ultimately there's always a way to make it work. So I'd say the problems that editors solve is finding a way to tell the story in the best possible way. Excellent. I can see that because, you know, I mean, since we just finished the Oscars, you know, I think about some of the stories that won Oscars or didn't win Oscars. And, you know, as a viewer, sometimes I'm just like, why is the story being told this way? You know, it's easy to have an opinion when you have no stake in the game. So let me preface it by that way. But certainly as a viewer, sometimes I don't understand why a movie went in this particular direction, why the editing went in this particular direction. And oftentimes, from what you just said, it sounds like what you're trying to do is not necessarily appeal to me. I mean, certainly, maybe I'm the end game, but certainly you also have other people who have influence on how a film gets edited in the end and the story that is told. Yeah, and I should also say a couple things. I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe there's a, a script in the case of a movie or a television show, maybe there's a script that the editor really adheres to, so there isn't as much flexibility. Other times it's like, well, here's a bunch of footage, just make something work. And the other thing that I should say is when I say telling a story, it isn't always a story like a movie or a narrative program on television, it could be a corporate messaging video, but there's still a story that needs to be told. Or even if it's something like, you know, a video that gives instructions on how to do something, you know, something very sort of just informative, but not entertaining, but instructional, any type of thing that you're editing is still telling a story. It's just 
a different type of story, depending on what the project is. Well, certainly as I've gotten further and further into this project, that is becoming clearer and clearer to me. You know, at first, when I started the series, I thought all I was doing was asking questions and getting answers. But I know that when I'm talking to or communicating with my assistant, I'm often saying, this is really important. I would really want to emphasize this, perhaps move it from here to here to bring it out. And so I have a lot more say about the story and how I tell the story of a particular profession that I am trying to introduce students to. Exactly, because really you're doing the same thing that I do, but you're just doing it with only audio. You're telling a story with, you know, the interview that you conduct. Absolutely. So if you had an opportunity to give a young Michael advice, what advice would you give yourself today knowing what you know now? Hmm. Well, that's always a tricky one for me, that type of question, because, I mean, I could give advice that would maybe take me in a different path, but then I don't know where I would be today. So in a lot of ways, I was sort of lucky in that the production company that I worked for early on, that I learned how to do everything. It was a small production company, so I ended up having to do all aspects of production, camera work, lighting, working with actors, writing copy, doing the editing, dealing with clients, having to deliver products to clients. So I learned every aspect, and I also learned about business while I was doing that, so that when I went freelance and started working for myself, I knew how to do everything, and so I was able to take all kinds of different jobs to pay the bills until I sort of got some momentum. And so looking back, the advice that I would give somebody young would be that, which is learn every aspect of your business, even if there's part of it that you don't feel like you're particularly good at or that you're interested in. But that makes you a well-rounded person. And as you get older and more advanced in your career, having that knowledge makes you more prepared for the business in general because you understand how everything works together. Now, the reason I say that is is some people, their first job maybe is going to be for a really big company. And if you're working for a really big company, you're more likely to get pigeonholed into one role. Okay, and I will use the example of my industry. Okay, you are a camera person or you are a production assistant or you are an editor's assistant and you're just going to learn this one little part of the business. This can apply to any industry, by the way. But I don't think I had a master plan when I did it, but I think that I was lucky that I worked for this small company and was able to become well-rounded in all of those aspects of production. So I don't know if that's exactly the question you asked, but I think that's where it leads me. I completely agree with in that it pays to be well-rounded and it pays to understand the business that you're in from different aspects of it because what I think that it does for you is it helps you understand why things turn out a particular way. It helps you deal with various different aspects of the business and it positions you for other roles. Because sometimes I'm a person who is continually learning new stuff. And so I know that sometimes my husband is just like, why are you studying that? And that's just like, well, I don't know why I'm studying other than I'm interested in it. But I know that oftentimes two years down the line, a year down the line, five years down the line, what I learned 
then is something that I'm now able to bring to bear in what I'm doing. So I think that that is something that makes a lot of sense for students or anybody to consider is try to learn as much about your industry from various different facets because you never know what opportunities will kind of come up in your future just because you have that background. Yeah, and I think if a person is at all interested in eventually running their own business or getting into upper management within a business, the ability to understand all the different roles within the business makes them a real competitive person in that respect and gives them skills that others don't. Because when you talk with somebody within the business that just understands one part of it, they're just not as well-rounded and they have a harder time communicating with people in different departments. Absolutely. So what gets you up in the morning to serve your clients, Michael? <laughs> well, in a sense, this might sound jaded because I'm you know, quite a bit older than I was 25 years ago when I started. But to be honest with you, my wife and kids are what get me up in the morning to serve my clients. And maybe that's not you know, what my clients would want to hear. But I've gotten to the point where I have a 10 and an eight-year-old daughter and I see my career as a means to an end. That doesn't mean I don't enjoy my career. I do. I, I, I like doing what I do. But everything I do really is about being able to help provide for my family. So, but let's put that side of it apart and just talk about the work part of it. I like working with clients. I like being able to provide them a product that when we're done, it's something that they have that they're proud of and that they like and they compliment me on a job well done and it feels good. So aside from just the work part of it, which I also enjoy, that aspect of being able to provide something of value for a client is fulfilling. Absolutely. You know, somebody who has just started to dabble in doing more of my work via video, and I know that for the types of jobs that I've had, when it all comes together, I am very proud of the work that the people that I have worked with have been able to produce. So I understand that kind of mentality of, you know, just feeling accomplishment for a job well done when the client is really pleased. Yeah. And because if a client isn't pleased, and you know, that happens sometimes, it's just unavoidable. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> no, no, it is not. So the other side of the question of what gets you up in the morning is what keeps you up at night when you think about your career? Well, this is an interesting thing. And the reason that I've continued to be both a producer and an editor, when most people after a number of years would choose either, okay, I'm just going to be an editor or I'm just going to be a producer or I'm just going to be a cameraman or whatever. I like the fact that producing and editing are two very different jobs. And producing is the type of job that lives with you 24-7 until it's done. When I go to sleep at night, I'm thinking about all the different aspects of the job and trying to figure out what are the things that I'm overlooking. And then I get up in the morning and I get in the shower and I start thinking about some aspect of the production that maybe I haven't considered all the angles. So I'm constantly living with it while it's going on until it's delivered. Whereas with editing, if I'm only editing and you know I'm editing for another producer, 
I have the luxury, so to speak, of letting them worry about all of that stuff. I show up at the time I need to show up at, either with my editing equipment or working on their editing equipment. And I say, what are we doing today? And then at the end of the day, I say, okay, see you tomorrow or whatever. And I drive home and I'm not even thinking about it because it's not my concern. So I like the fact that I may go two or three weeks like that, where I'm not taking my work home with me. And then I might go a month or two where I'm producing something and it's all consuming. So when I'm doing those producing jobs, I don't know that it keeps me up at night, but it's something that's just constantly in my head. And I'm aware of the fact that, let's say I have a shoot schedule that I'm producing and I'm overseeing and I've hired a big crew and I've got camera people and I have lighting people and I have actors and I have all of this stuff scheduled and we're going to be shooting for three straight days. I know that once those days are done, that's it. I don't have the ability to go back because we've already got it all budgeted and scheduled. And so if I'm not on top of whatever needs to happen and something doesn't get done, that's my mistake and it's going to be a problem. So things like that are the things that I would say, you know, to use the phrase, keep me up at night. All right. Well, they do seem like very, very different skills. I mean, certainly there is something to be said when you've got kids at 8 and 10 to be able to kind of come home and just leave it all at work. But, you know, as a business owner like yourself, that there's always something in the back of our minds that is going constantly about, you know, some situation, something that we're trying to prepare for, something that just happened, something that we anticipate happening, something we want to make happen. And so I can understand also having that wheel going around in your mind constantly about, like you were alluding to with the producer role, where you've constantly got it on your mind. Now, you know, you didn't talk about it as a business owner, but I know if your business is very similar to mine, is even when you're done with your producer role, the business owner role is still constantly in the background running and assessing and planning and all the rest of those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I didn't think about initially when you asked the question. But it is true as a freelancer, my wife, for example, works for a corporation and she has her own set of stresses that goes with that. But she gets a paycheck twice a month and she gets benefits through that. Whereas if I don't work, I don't get paid. So while I'm working, I'm constantly trying to fill up my calendar with work that's coming down the road. And sometimes I have competing clients. Well, I shouldn't say competing because they're not in competition with each other. But, you know, one client wants, needs me to work for them for a certain week. And then another client wants to know if I can work that same week. And I have to either tell one of them no, which I hate to do, or I have to figure out some sort of compromise where I can put one of them on the calendar, do the other one, you know, at night, Or, you know, maybe ask them if we can push theirs back a week or something like that. And that's kind of a stressful thing. I think I've become pretty good at dealing with it, but it is a a constant source of just something that takes up my time and my effort to just keep the work on the calendar so that I don't suddenly wake up one day and realize I don't have any work scheduled because if I don't have work scheduled, I don't get paid. 
And as you know, we all need to get paid. Yeah. It is a fine balancing act because, you know, when you're working, it's hard to market. But as you alluded to earlier in our conversation, one of the benefits that you have is that when you have a good reputation, as you do, then sometimes the work will just show up based on what you have done in the past. And I think that that's really one of the benefits of it. So you are always constantly thinking about marketing, but sometimes you can relax that because the work will just show up from an opportunity or you can reach out to somebody that you have done good work with in the past and reach out and say, hey, you know what, I've got some time coming up in my schedule. Do you have anything for me? Yeah, it's interesting. I seem to be very, very busy for about 12 to 13 month stretches and then I might have one or two months where I get kind of slow and then it picks up again and I go very busy for another 12 to 13 months and then it slows down for a month maybe. And uh, I've just sort of noticed that pattern over time. And the slow periods are always a little uncomfortable, but they're just part of the cycle of this business. Yes. So let me ask you, what changes are going on in your industry that a person considering the profession needs to be aware of? Well, there are constant changes in this industry, and it's accelerated since I've been involved. When when I first started working, we didn't have what was called nonlinear editing, which is editing systems where you basically digitize the footage and you work on it within a computer. When I first started working, it was all tape and machine-based. There were computers controlling the machines, but you weren't actually working with footage in the computer. And that started in the early 90s. And then the advent of digital camera technology and computers, personal computers, have really revolutionized the business. And it's lowered the barriers to entry for a lot of people, which in some ways are good because now people can much easier... If somebody wants to make a movie, there's not that much stopping them from doing it. Whereas when I first started in this business in the late 80s, if you wanted to make a movie, you needed a lot of money. Right. Or you wanted to make a television show, you needed a lot of money. I mean, an edit suite, you know, was a minimum a half a million dollars. Now you can get, you can have a really high-end edit equipment for less than $10,000. And even cheaper if you want to cut some corners. So it's quite possible for somebody just coming out of college to have a laptop and a little digital camera and some editing software, and they can do quite a bit with that. But the difference between me and what I do and somebody coming out of college is that I've been doing this for 25 years and I know how to do it. And it's going to cost a client more for my services than it is if they want to hire somebody right out of college and they could hire somebody right out of college to do what I do and pay them a lot less but the product you know this might sound I don't mean this to sound arrogant but the product is not going to be as good and the reason why is that they just don't have the experience it's easier now for them to get the experience and the other thing I should say is there is way more work now than there was 25 years ago because now everybody does video. If you have a website, you want to have video on your website. When I first started, it was more of a luxury. It was big corporations. Doing corporate video was a very focused thing. Now everybody is doing video, so there's more work out there. And that means there's more work 
for young, hungry entrepreneurs who maybe are less expensive, but there's also more work for older, more settled production people like myself. And it's a matter of just finding that work. This is getting a little bit off track from your question, but to get back to that, I should say things are constantly changing because of the rapid accelerating changes in technology. And if somebody is a person that likes to go, okay, well, I figured out how to do this and I really am good at doing this and I like doing this. Now, I don't want anything to change because I understand what I'm doing. They're going to have a hard time in this business because every couple of years, it seems like there's disruptive technology that gets thrown into the mix. And suddenly, the way you were doing things two or three years ago is now obsolete. And maybe that's an exaggeration, not necessarily obsolete, but it's becoming obsolete. So you need to constantly be educating yourself about new technologies and how new technologies are integrated into the industry. And that's true not just for editing, but for producing and for camera and for workplace technology, all of that stuff. That might be true for all businesses, but I think it's more so true in this business because it's so tech-centric as far as cameras and editing and lighting and everything that we use to make what we make all involves technology. You know what? I, I can see that it's something that is changing constantly. I mean, even as a business owner, the way that I've been told to capture the videos that go on my site has changed in the last couple of years. And I see that accelerating and continuing. So I'm not surprised that it's also happening. But to go back to what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the difference between hiring somebody who is fresh out of college versus hiring somebody who is seasoned, you know, oftentimes the experience can help shape. You were talking about storytelling earlier, and I think that the experience that you bring as somebody who's been in the industry for more than, you know, a minute is going to be very different in helping you tell the story. You're going to bring into it, you know, influences that you've learned over those years that you've been into it and be able to kind of bring that to the forefront and help shape a very different story than somebody who is new to the industry. I mean, I'm just thinking about it in terms of the audio podcast that I'm doing. The podcast that I'm delivering now is very different from the podcast that I was delivering at the beginning. And it's part of my seasoning as an interviewer and my team's learning to edit and tell a story within my interviews. So I can see that definitely having an impact and changing your industry. Yeah, I think, you know, the bottom line is experience matters. It really does. And there's no substitute for just putting in the hours. No, there really is not. So let me ask you a couple final questions. Why do you think that being a TV editor is on the list of the top 100 careers for the next decade? Uh, well, I'm not aware that it is, but are you saying that it is? is it is. Okay. I would say a, a big reason for that is one of the things that I alluded to earlier, which is just video has become one of those. Th I mean, let's face it. Everything is about mobile and the web these days. And this is, you know, when I first started in this business, neither even existed. I mean, the internet existed, but it was, not everybody was on it. 
anyways, everything is about the web and mobile. And for branding and for getting content and stories across, there has to be dynamic changing branded pages for whether it's corporate branding or whether it's you know television or whatever it is there is this constant need for video content and you look at the statistics on sites like YouTube and Vimeo about how much video is being pushed online every second of every day and it is staggering and the the people that look at it that say what it's going to be in five and ten years from now, it's even more staggering. It is crazy how much content is going to be pushed every second of every day. And people need professionals that know what they're doing to create that content. Now, a lot of that content is amateur content that can be created by people, you know, just doing it for fun. But there is a differentiator for people who are looking for high-quality branded content. And that requires producers and editors. And I've worked with a lot of clients that cut costs on producers and on camera people, but they don't cut costs on editors. And the reason why is the editors are the people that can take all kinds of footage, good or bad, and can make something out of it, that can make a story and make it work. And there's just always going to be that need. And I think the demand is just going to continue to grow. So I think the work is there. But my advice to people coming out of college looking to get into it, I wouldn't have the expectation that you're just going to show up one day and be an editor or a producer. It's the type of thing that you need to put in the time, you need to put in the hours, you need to learn the craft. And the work will be there. Perfect. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Hmm. Specifically geared towards young people looking for work out of college? Sure. One thing about my job that I wasn't aware of when I started, but now when I look at it, I find it interesting, is that it's almost a perfect mix of creativity and technical. And I find this interesting that I ended up here because my mother was very driven by language arts, writing, music. She spoke French and the arts and all of that. She took us to, you know, plays and concerts and things like that. And my father was a nuclear physicist. So I sort of got this mix of the arts and the scientific from my parents and you know, it was interesting to me one day when I realized that I do a job that is this perfect mix of technical and creativity. And I would say anybody that has that mix or finds that mix compelling, this is a good job for them because you have to really have an understanding of the technical aspect of the work. You really need to understand about audio and video signal flow through the various components and you need to be able to troubleshoot when there's issues that aren't working the way they need to work and you need to understand how the equipment and how the technology works yet at the same time you need to have a really good understanding of the ideas of storytelling and writing and creatively using imagery and sound and graphics and the word to tell a story and if somebody is all creativity but no technical 
they can have challenges. And if somebody is all technical but lacks creativity, they will have other challenges. And usually those people end up in sort of different roles. So I would say that's something to look for. Great. So I thank you very much for your time. So if anybody was looking for ways to contact you, what's the best way to contact you, Michael? Uh, probably on my website, vernonvision.com, there is a contact tab where people can fill out a form that gets emailed to me. All right. That's probably the easiest way. It's vernonvision.com. And I know it's kind of a funky name, but my middle name is Vernon. And so I just thought that when I first started, I thought that was kind of clever. So. <laughs> Got it. So could you spell Vernon for uh, those people who... Yeah, it's V-E-R-N-O-N, Vernon, and then Vision, V-I-S-I-O-N.com, VernonVision.com. Great. And if you're a frequent listener to this podcast, you'll know that we'll include links to his site in our show notes, as well as he's got a couple other sites of production work that he does that we will also include. So if you'd like to find out a little bit more about Michael Williams, that would be the best way. Take a look at our show notes and reach out to him through his contact form on his website, vernonvision.com. To learn more about the college planning process, I invite you to visit our website at collegefundingresource.com. I also encourage my listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our Career 100 podcasts. And if you like this podcast, we invite you to go to our iTunes channel and rate it. At College Funding Resource, you'll be able to listen to guests like Michael who have valuable information to share about the different careers for you to consider. I also want to thank my listeners for joining us today, and I hope that you will join me for the next installment of the Career 100 podcast. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.